Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars, listener Q&A, host, ramble, fest, and just all kinds of silliness here. Graham Goodwin, my dearest of dear co-hosts. You're the only co-host I have for anything I do among all my podcasts. Do you realize that? that that's Is either that really? Well, it's either a great honor or just an indicator of your terrible decision-making. One of the I'm, two. I- I've just got nothing to do most evenings. I think that's what it is. Is that this or walk the dog? I could go walk the dog. You could. You'd be very grateful. Yes, indeed. And your (laughs) beloved Trudy waiting for you uh, so you two can have dinner together as uh, betrothed folks should do. Let's say a big thanks as always, Graham, to the mighty Daniel Summersgill, member of the Prude uh, listener group. Also the person who puts together the questions for us. I was about to say each week, uh, but each episode, how's that? Uh, that way we're not outing ourselves as uh, not always being able to do this every week. But big thank you to Daniel. Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. Absolutely nothing to talk about coming out of spa regarding temperature or rubber. Uh, so that's good. Um, let's also, Graham, say a massively awesome thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, in torontomotorsports.com for supporting all that we do one or two very quick final notes i always forget the exact day so i'll have to take a look i think it's next monday maybe uh, i believe it was may 8th 2016 when this silly little podcast uh went live to the world so how many years would that make seven i don't know um but yeah, so we have a podcast anniversary coming up here. Ooh. We, I think about three weeks ago, and I wasn't paying attention to this, which is kind of the norm, but about three weeks ago, we crossed the 9 million download uh, threshold, if that's a threshold, uh, since we launched this podcast back in May of 2016. So uh, a big... Imagine how popular uh, an OnlyFans Marshall Pruitt account would be. Oh my god! I would have. I'd be paying folks money. It's, it'd be the other way around. I'd be in debt if that was the case. But big thank you to everyone who's helped get us to nine million. I think we're at nine point one now. So wow! First couple of years wasn't a overabundance of traffic. So a lot of that uh, number, Graham, is is more recent years. But big thank you to everyone for making that happen. And then also just a quick thought. And we have a couple members, uh, whether it's Day or just friends of the show, friends of what we do, uh, whether it's here on the Weekend Sports Cars, Weekend IndyCar, you name it. Um, got a just heartwarming email this morning from a friend. Uh, name is Troy, a very devout, devout uh, friend, listener, and you name it. And uh, he sent along a message saying that finally, after waiting for three years, you received a new kidney. Wow. One of the things that some of y'all may know, some of you might not, who knows. But uh, podcasts, whether it's ours or the many others throughout the world on whatever topic, motor racing, gardening, animal husbandry, those I know happen to be your favorite, Graham. Um, Always, yep. We do these little 
podcast things and we do them because we enjoy the particular topics that we cover of motor racing and graham's obviously one of my my dear friends so this is just effectively two friends who coincidentally are professionals in the sport but we do this because we love it we talk about stuff you send in questions it's just a fun kind of circular activity no point in time do i or does graham ever think what we're doing has any real relevance or greater societal value and it doesn't but it's a amazing thing to hear graham though when someone like troy writes in and he's you know been sharing a lot of these the hardships he's been going through for many years and just having him say listen to the podcast and it just helped get me through this thing or was sitting there in dialysis for four hours and ripped through a bunch of episodes about this out of the other those are things you and i never think about because you know we just do this thing and we move on to the next thing but uh, just so appreciative of folks like Troy and everyone else who uh, who's a part of this little family of ours. And on occasion, we realize that this thing that we do might actually be a little bit more than something that uh, is, is dismissible or forgettable uh, moments after it goes up. We have another friend, uh, Brian, who's been in the throes of battling leukemia and sent a note here within the last week or two saying that he had received a death sentence. He'd received a message from doctors that um, he wouldn't necessarily live out the rest of the year and sent through a note saying, you know, that advisement was given Graham while waiting for a blood test to come back. And the odds of anything positive coming out of that blood test were the proverbial million to one. And then you get a note from him saying, I just won the lottery. <laughs> I just won the lottery and <laughs> oh, I might be able God. to see my daughter, you know, grow up and graduate and all these other things. And it's just not trying to open the show with some sort of like little tear jerk or whatever, but we don't often take a moment to just express yeah. our collective gratitude, not only to those who obviously uh, download and, and listen to the show and, interact with us but also the the messages we get the friendships we've developed with many of our listeners that again never really uh become part of public discourse but just a couple things like this graham where you go i agree oh boy well here, here you heavy go stuff and pete troy and brian from me and mine to you and yours god bless you both of you um my god you know when we talk about good news in terms of the sport pales into insignificance there doesn't it and it is the most important thing you've had more than moments with this mate over the last few years i've had as anybody at my kind of stage in life has had brushes with these kinds of health related issues with people i care about but um keep trucking both of you and keep listening and do tell us your stories and do send in some questions and let's see what we can do to just Lighten the load a bit. Talk about lighten the load. Let's talk about cold tires. Woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> a topic just not addressed at all by anybody. Oh no, uh, no, no, no! It didn't come up at all at Spa. No. Where, uh, where shall we begin? That might be the single topic of the episode, but we'll try not. Why don't we do this? Why don't we kick off? Uh, and I mean, our, our friend and, and long-standing, maybe since almost day one, uh, show friend, right turn lover. 
uh, Christopher Alfby, uh, our Minister of Mirth, Lance Snyder, Corey at GTP Enjoyer, Jack Tollett, uh, Philip Varley. Let, I'm just going to scroll down and keep, I can't read that, but it's something involving uh, Porsche 962, I think. Uh, Isaac Kimboris. Isaac, you might be a uh, new person we've gotten a question from. James Counter. Let, I'm just, let's keep going. Uh, and then we'll get to the actual questions. Jacob Money. Uh, our pal Stathis Coco Giannis is here. Matthew Levine. Hey, uh, all on the subject of it's cold and the hyper cars are crashy, which is not exactly what we wanted or hoped. So as someone who was there, Graham Goodwin, let me yep. hurl like a, uh, a, a gibbon with an overactive thyroid, uh, hurling yep. things at, uh, at attendees of the local zoo. Those are how questions will be coming at you. Uh, is the removal of intermediates a wise decision? Right turn lever says the start of the six hours hypercar teams could only choose between two unsuitable types of tires are the hypercar Michelin's used in WEC so different from the ones used in IMSA's GTP category. Uh, cannot remember them struggling so much in cold tires. So for those who by chance might not have been plugged into WECity WEC playing sporty cars at spa, can you set the stage to then answer the question? So folks know what we're talking about. Yeah, so a couple of things uh, came into uh, the perfect storm, really, uh, parts of the spa meeting, which, to be to be blunt, before we get into it, I think was one of the best WC races through the classes that we've seen in recent years. It does really, did really go to show that this plan, if properly executed, can really start to make a massive difference. And by the way, there's a decent crowd there to watch it. 72,000 was the official crowd across the weekend. And whether or not I believe 72,000, I can tell you there were tens of thousands of people there to watch this race live. And I'm delighted we're there to see it. We did though have some issues. Uh, three hypercars, very well, two hypercars, very badly damaged, one damaged. Uh, Brendan Hartley with a really weird, um, Incident during qualifying uh, up at uh, the run-up from Arouge to Radion, losing control of the car uh, whilst on cold tyres and at pretty low speed and just simply couldn't catch it. Then uh, Antonio Fuoco, the darling at Sebring for Ferrari, um, losing the number 50 499P on its way out on stone cold tyres in a straight line into the barrier. Uh, two other cars, uh, in fact, actually one of the cars, because one of them was the 50 again, uh, understeering across the white pit exit line. And since then, I've seen uh, evidence that it happened as well to the number two Cadillac doing exactly the same thing. And I think we were asked a bit later about the issue for the number issue. Blimey, that's understating it for the number three Cadillac in the hands of Renga van der Zander. That not tire related, uh, but we'll come to that one later. So, yeah, um, two policy changes for or rule changes for uh, the WEC uh, coming into 2023 one is no tire warmers that is a position that's been made uh, entirely on the basis of the environmental argument that we should not be wasting energy warming tires uh, and the second one is a restriction in the number of different tires available in a hypercar and that does indeed remove the intermediate slash slick to immediate whatever you want to call it uh, option um it's fair to say that from the very start, there's been voices in the paddock suggesting that maybe problems to come 
with these moves, uh, particularly in a hypercar, when we got to Spa, and that's what happened. They were not, by the way, the only cars that had troubles on the um, formation laps. We had multiple GTE AM cars in trouble. Christian Reed, the most experienced bronze in the field, spinning three times uh, on cold, slick tyres. Um, we had uh, Phil Hansen into the wall, um, mercifully without lasting damage to his car um, in the 22 car from United Autosports. So it was not an issue that was restricted just to uh, the uh, the hypercars. There was a choice in those potentially drying conditions, start on wet or dry tyres. There's all sorts of questions as to whether or not, uh, you know, tyre management driver pace blah 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 etc etc came into play but i would relay it mp in just these terms there are two terms i think i put on it one is in every other single part of motorsports correctly we have drummed into us that safety is paramount and yet and yet this is very clearly a policy that does not put safety above a different policy concern, and that policy concern is environmentally based. I'm not here to field the arguments. I'm here to make a statement. Every other aspect of motorsport safety is regarded as paramount, and yet this is an area where a different area policy has been put ahead of that. Whether or not teams made a wise tyre choice, whether or not in extremists one driver or two or three um had an input into that vehicle that, that led to uh, them losing control. The reality is that we had the Ferraris, in particular, running at a pace on cold tyres, which were sufficient for them to effectively lose a lap whilst they tried to get um, warmth, uh, heat into their cold tyres. And again, may well have been that was to do with the compound that Ferrari chose to uh, put on the cars at that point in the race. But they felt that they, for reasons of safety, could not progress at a speed that would have prevented them from losing absolute buckets of time. L I mean, literally being overtaken by amongst the slowest of the bronze drivers, as if they were standing still. That's how slow they were. Bronze drivers in GTM cars, by the way. Uh, and losing effectively a lap to the leaders. That's number one point. Number two is, I completely agree that we need to be in our sports um, absolutely aligned with the global concerns over environment, climate change, call it what you will, but there's a better way of doing it than this. We should not simply be looking at energy that we are consuming and saying, let's not do that. We should be looking at the one thing that motorsport absolutely is a global leader in, and that is problem solving. We are technology leaders worldwide in problem solving. We can do that more quickly than anybody in any laboratory measure those results and change it again to move forward. It's something that Formula One does in minutiae on a week-by-week -week basis. Why aren't we doing that here, MP? Why aren't we offering these as problems with a bit of foresight and giving the, the racing industry, the automotive industry, academia, science the opportunity to prove that you can come forward with technological 
uh, and technical solutions to these kinds of problems that might then have more relevance moving forward in an era where so much more is spec than it used to be. So much less is prototypical than it used to be. Here's an opportunity that we should have and could have taken to set a number of environmental technology challenges to some of the most brilliant minds in the world that exist in this industry to bring forward those challenges that then would have been a marker to people looking into our sports, some of them potentially looking in order to criticise so that we could use that alongside the use of renewable fuels, which we have, alongside the use of more renewable technologies, which we have in terms of the way the cars and for that matter the tyres are put together, that we could point them in the direction of here is a net contributor to the good rather than as having to literally truck in replacement cars and replacement components from across Europe so that these cars could go and compete. It was a bad look. If, if, even if you look at the op, just the optics, it's a bad look. If you look across at the kind of common sense behind it, I would sit firmly behind the safety argument. I don't want to be sitting in a, 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 a commentary booth or sitting in front of a, a laptop to write something and having to justify someone being hurt because of a decision that's been made on the basis of you know something that has been put ahead of safety in the queue. I believe there have been some solid arguments taken forward to the rulemakers on the basis of this decision. I have no uh, in-depth knowledge of whether or not, you know, unwise decisions were being made on what tyres went onto the car in what conditions, etc., etc. That generally is down to the spirit of competition that we've always operated in, and you, you win or, we, or you lose. But in this instance, if we're making a policy decision made on one basis, it cannot sit ahead of safety. It cannot sit ahead of safety. And as I say, second tier is, I think there's a better alternative that could, should, and still could, and still should be taken to do uh, to make a better set of choices than that. That That's as far as my retting goes on that front, MP. I didn't like sitting there watching it. I found it uncomfortable to watch uh, the succession of, of top-class drivers being unable to control their cars in pretty <sighs> benign conditions. And I would believe that the people responsible for putting those rules in probably felt a little less comfortable than I did. Um, I'd like to see this one thought about again and thought about before we get to Le Mans. This one just felt a little bit too think detractors at least in the states here would use the term woke um we're uh, accustomed I, I, to drivers I'll, having I'll to yeah. we're accustomed to drivers having to adjust to yeah. new challenges every year the argument of well just drive slower and there's complete validity in that statement so you lose a lap to the slowest GT cars driven by the ammiest of AMs if that's what's required to get around for that first lap or two until the tires are up to temperature, then that's your challenge. Rise to that challenge. Realize that it is very, I mean, it, it's a crazy tough to drive, but the vehicle won't 
fly off the track on its own. There need to be inputs from the person controlling that vehicle for it to fly off the track. That's the hard, harsh line on that. One th- area where I'm unclear on Graham, and I feel like I might mm-hmm. have been inaccurate in this, traction control. Is that something yep. on the hypercars that is banned on fresh tires or something like that? Because that was the other thing that came to mind. And again, I feel like I might be wrong in, in the regulations. But I, think that, I think the hypercars have got TC. I think it, they've got TC. Unless there's something prohibiting the use of TC uh, exiting the pits or for a certain duration coming out of the pits, I would think traction control, that being both forward and side, because there are there's not just a single traction control thing that prevents wheel spin, but based on whether the front tires are at a certain speed and then traction control intervenes if the rear wheel speed sensors recognize that aha the rear tires are spinning faster than the fronts let's intervene and stop that that's one form of traction control there's also load-based traction control uh when the car is you know cornering and in yaw and whatever but my mindset went immediately towards hey if we know that we are undertired for this condition boy my strategy assuming it's allowed in the rules unless i've totally missed it being prohibited boy we're crank we're doing a spinal tap on traction control and cranking that sucker up to 11 on the opening mm-hmm. lap or maybe first two laps whatever it might be until we're confident the tires are ready to uh, accept uh, more speed etc cetera, etc cetera. but the the thing that does stand out to me about this that really was i remember when uh this was announced about hey we're banning tire warmers it's an unnecessary consumption of energy and we're trying to be more conscious again you're not going to hear any arguments arguments from me about trying to be smarter and and conserve Mm -hmm. resources i agree but (laughs) is this the area brother goodwin where everyone in the paddock's been like oh my god like when we plug in the tire warmers, you just see the entire city of Lamar go and the lights cut dim to 50%. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, tire warmers don't consume a heck of a bunch of energy, but this is by no means an area that we in the sport collectively have been saying, oh, we got to get rid of this. Oh my gosh, we're, we're just making the, uh, the good old uh, electrical plant down the road glow because we're consuming so much when we are warming our tires so to me this just stood out as a bit of a eh, i think we've created an argument to then answer it in a environmentally friendly way uh i never saw this as a okay this is this has real roots in in truth that boy by doing this we're going to conserve a a really significant amount of energy etc etc but to your point, where I would hope in the weckety weck, uh, in any series that is trying to be forward-looking when it comes to energy conservation, was at the Texas IndyCar race a month ago, month and a half, whenever it was, two months ago. And one of the things that was interesting is Andretti Autosport has a long-standing 
sponsor and partner capstone turbine and they had a uh, turbine powered hospitality unit and so Mm -hmm. they have a little trailer set up with a turbine energy generating system that they use to power andretti's massive hospitality compound so instead of plugging into the electrical grid uh, or running big diesel or, or petrol gasoline uh, generators, which might be, uh, you know, frankly, which is something we see pretty much everywhere. They said, hey, we can do something better and this could be friendlier for the environment. So they're doing it. It did a little piece on it because I thought it was really cool. Plus a turbine spinning yep. at, I think, 135,000 RPMs. Whistle. It was really quiet, but still you could kind of hear its light whistling hum next to a hospitality unit. I'm like, yeah, hey, that's actually pretty cool. But can WEC put out a challenge? to its manufacturers, to its partners, to whatever, to say, hey, so who might be able to devise, whether it's turbine power, who knows what, some sort of great centrally positioned in the paddock that gets trailered or jetted to each stop that is our super conscious uh, energy source. I believe they do that, Graham, in Formula E, right? You know, they, they have come up with something where they said, great, we're not going to go into each city center and then, you know, just dim the lights because we're drawing so much electricity. Could the WC do that? And could that be a thing where folks plug into that? And is that then something to promote the heck I, out of? I'm just I'd saying. I'd love them to it, do it. I'd love them to do it, It MP, seems because, perfect, right? seems like the perfect it's pr- thing here. It's, it's something, it's the right thing to do. And better still, it's promotable. You know, we're looking for ways for motorsport to stand out. We're looking for ways for it not to be tokenism. We're looking for ways of, uh, to make it relevant in an age where the automotive industry is on, under unprecedented pressure from not just from its consumers, but from politicians and from opinion formers. And, and this, to me, it just seems a really simple way to go. I don't say anything on these grounds is simple. It shouldn't be simple. It should be hard. That's why it would make it relevant and newsworthy, if you like. But um, for me, I would be very surprised indeed if there there, there weren't those in the um, the rulemaking part of things that are thinking, having seen that, uh, are thinking again whether or not this was altogether a completely well-formed policy. Could we get there? We could get there. Are we there yet? Well, the amount of crumpled carbon fibre we saw would suggest that there's work to do before this becomes truly safe. And, you know, yeah, we can debate incident A or incident B or incident C. When you're getting down the list to incident J, K and L, um, I think the reality here is that someone needs to think again as to whether or not this is a policy that might need a few more corners knocking into it. Um, The the other one to to, to mention, by the way, and I'd be keen to mention this before we move on, it was the, if you like, the other big incident at Spa uh, was the one that saw Renge van der Zand uh, coming through a rouge, losing control of the number three Cadillac and yeah. uh, into the wall hard. That was not a cold tyres incident. Uh, and Alain Snyder and uh, Corey at GTP and Joya um, both uh, have asked what caused that. I can tell you, I bumped into your other co-host, 
what? Uh, of another podcast in the car park of our mutual hotel. Uh, we won't stay together. That's that's not a headline for you. Um, and he was what I can only describe as being really quite cross indeed. My Frenchiest of French um, fries? Yes, indeed, Mr. Bourdais. And uh, he repeated what we had heard via Renga, which was that the power steering locked on that car. Uh, so whether or not that was under compression, whatever it did, we know Renga got on the curb. He was in close proximity to two other cars uh, in a bit of a battle off the curb into the compression at Rouge coming up towards Radion. And the car then basically steered sharp left and made heavy impact with the wall. First things first, by the way, boy, did Delara build a good tub because that tub uh, will uh, be able to be reused. The tub was, I'm not saying undamaged, but uh, was salvageable. That was a brand new car. But that was what we were told by two people directly involved, electric power steering, um, effectively locked. Does not feel safe, by the way. Um, uh, locked at that point. So uh, that's the, uh, the information we were given. Uh, that's what we bring to you, the listeners of the Week in Sports Cars. That's what they then said uh, it actually happened, and he was not a very happy bunny about it at all, as well you might think. Um, so uh, as for Lance, do you have any insight as to how the Cadillac managed to rapidly disassemble itself in an aggressive manner, yet no tub damage? As I say, I'm not saying not damaged. I am saying that the tub is okay. And that's because it did exactly what it's designed to do in those circumstances, which is there are various zones uh, around that car that are designed to disassemble in exactly that way and to just dissipate the energy that's coming through the car in those moments. So it did exactly what it was designed to do, and we can be thankful that it did exactly that. Woohoo! That's that one dealt with. Yeah, take that, tires (laughs) and crashies. We're, yeah, we're moving on. And hey, we got maybe 10 minutes left to go in this old episode. Why? Because you need to eat. What do you have for dinner, by the way? What's, what's, I've not had it yet. I'm just waiting to find out what, uh, Mrs. G is going to, uh, serve up for us in this. How can we put this? This is the Coronation Eve here in the UK, by the way. Uh, we've already got a new king, uh, but we, we get to put a hat on him tomorrow. And it's a posh hat. And I will, we will be, my wife and I will be looking for you and Trudy and Oscar in the crowd. And if uh, DSC dog isn't on your shoulders, I'll be really disappointed. <laughs> really disappointed. Uh, hey, why don't we go to our pal Kevin Perez Frederico, who I finally got to meet after years of Kev sending in questions. Oh, wow. The show got to meet him at Long Beach. Yeah. Uh, he says, Marshall, any word on Acura slash HPD? Uh, mm-hmm. or Honda of Japan about bringing the Acura ARX 06 to mm-hmm. what's the official name of the series that you cover primarily? Weckety Weck. Uh, or Le Mans. But, oh, Kev. Oh, Kev. Oh, buddy. Uh, you need to drop and give us 20 push-ups. Why? <sighs> just, noticed. just as you do not spell New York as one word you don't spell lamar as one word making they're coming it to get you kev they're coming to get you now capital l e lowercase m a n s no separation between the e and the m so what do we have lamans uh yeah so uh you can't 
you can't ride in to the weekend sports cars and drop this giant bombastic fart in church with uh, a misspelling of Lamas. So, Kev, drop and give us 20. But anyways, uh, Kevin says the sheer pace in IMSA would indicate uh, that car might be competitive against Ferrari and Toyota. So, spoke with Michael Andretti. Now, Mm. Graham, we'll have to probably figure out offline at some point in time exactly how to describe this. Uh, We refer to the team founded by Wayne Taylor. They happen to race, so they call themselves Wayne Taylor Racing. Mm. And then an investment was made by Michael Andretti, Andretti Autosport, Andretti Global is the new parent company of everything there. So they're now called Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport. Uh, In the interview I did with Michael and Wayne after it was announced at Daytona, uh, we sat down, did a private interview, and Michael referred to buying the team. Uh, Moments after we finished the interview, got a note from Wayne saying, uh, Michael misspoke, please correct that. Um, We haven't been purchased outright. Just saying. Um, so not totally sure how to present exactly what they are, uh, who owns what, and what percentage, whether it's 50, 175, again, I don't know, but I do know this. I asked Michael Andretti here, co-owner at minimum of Wayne Taylor racing mm-hmm. plans for the future when it comes to Acura and wackety whack and not the first time he's been asked, I'm sure, but at least I think I might be the most recent to which he said, it is a part of their long-term-ish plans, but nothing that Michael does, Kev or Graham, is truly long-term, meaning 10 years from now. Long-term no. for Michael's probably two. Uh, next year, no. I think that would be a little bit aggressive uh, for mm-hmm. a Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport, Weckety Weck, Hypercar, Acura, Aero 06 to appear. We do, though, anticipate a second WTRAA uh, ARX06 to appear in GTP. Yep. And could we be seeing a 2025-ish type Weckety Weck program? Seems to fall in line, 25, 26 maybe. We'll see. Here's the thing we know, just to cap this. Michael Andretti, Andretti Global, they are building themselves out rather heavily in your lovely birthplace of the kingdom of United people. Um, <laughs> Michael told me when asking about, could you be doing weckety weck anytime soon? Said definitely part of the plan, a little more long-term, but yes, also mentioned it would be run out of their base in the UK. Mentioned that he wanted to establish some other racing teams, junior open wheel type stuff to okay. uh, support their, proposed and desired formula one program so clearly thought about it clearly has an idea of where it'd be run out of etc etc um how would it be funded again the questions to be answered but i can tell you that with the investment michael has received uh which is believed to be nine figures in like serious nine figures. Um, hey, why do they all of a sudden want to be in Formula One, in NASCAR, and WAC, and everywhere else? And you go, well, because uh, he can. They have a giant investment trying to make them a more of a monolith than they already are. So I would 
feel comfortable, Kevin, saying yes, going to happen. Pick the year, not next year, but sometime soon after that. Seems like, Graham, while the F1 thing and gaining entry there is an ongoing significantly sized question mark, Mm -hmm. this would have zero question marks if they want to do it. And I don't think Acura slash Honda would uh, get in their way or prevent such a thing. Uh, This, to me, is something that could happen much easier uh, with, with fewer issues. Only sidebar to that is obviously the chassis supplier areca yep. being based in france great thing super easy already in good old y-u-r-r-u-p europe would honda performance development likely need to establish some sort of dedicated technical base and or wing in the andretti uh giant andretti uk base to support this again it's not like we uh, haven't had hpd involved in WEC before right lamal winning title winning in lmp2 uh, back before it was spec so they've done that for sure just would think graham they would need to establish uh, some sort of hypercar centric base there um, yeah because just shipping stuff across uh, motors and whatever else from uh, Southern California would probably not be the best well, way I mean, to go about things. Sure. I mean, Honda have at the moment a partnership with JAS in Milan. Yeah. That supports the uh, NSX GT3 uh, efforts in Europe and beyond. Um, and those cars are built um, at JAS uh, in Milan. But uh, yeah, a Milanese technical partner, a chassis partner, in France and a team in the UK, that's a lot of just a lot of logistics, isn't it? I mean, uh, in terms of what would be required, uh, I think I'd say two things before we move on. The first thing is this strikes me as we've moved on, haven't we, from this being an idea? This is now a plan. It's just not a program yet. Um, what they would need to do, the car would would have to be rehomologated, okay, uh, for WEC. Whilst we've got a converged rule set, there is a, there is a homologation that would be required for that um that's not an overnight thing but it's relatively simple particularly if you've got a lot of those boxes ticked already with gtp in imsa it is for me the next most obvious brand to come up to the wc beyond the ones that we know have already got a program in mind um i think has moved ahead of mclaren in that 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 um that queue if you like, at this stage, uh, for a variety of reasons, not least of which you've got a motivated and funded uh, Andretti Autosports uh, with the the wish, the will, and the means to do so. So, um, I hope it comes forward. Um, don't th- uh, don't think it's going to be the first Honda program, by the way, that WEC um, is asked to consider. Let's see, where else should we uh, go to close the show? Uh, you tell me. I just picked it. Some quick look. Uh, Tom Blogquist. Yes, Stephen Gate. Yes, Tom is awesome. Uh, let's have a quick look here. Stephen uh, Gate asks a question. Uh, is Tom Blomquist IMSA contract solely with Marshank Racing with HPD? And how long is it? Hold on, just a sec. Boop boop beep boop boop. Hey Tom, how long's your contract? Oh, and w- with whom is it with? 
Oh, all right, Steven. Uh, he says it's with Myershank Racing, not with HPD. HPD, I think, only has two to three drivers under contract, period, across all that they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom is not one of them. Thanks, by the way, Tom. Boop. He hung up. Um, I And you say, uh, hashtag me personally. If I was BMW, I'd bring him back into the fold and place him straight with WRT in the WEC for 2024. In uh, his opinion, Tom is the top five of the fastest sports car drivers in the world right now. Uh, wouldn't disagree, Tom. Would also say nope. that uh, while that might be a really great inquiry for BMW to make, I think that will be especially challenging for him next year because if you want to watch Tom Blomqvist driving race cars at high speed from a full-time standpoint, uh, you probably need to start watching IndyCar. So, um, yeah, and probably with his existing team. Yeah. He is awesome, by the way, and astonishing standout run from him in P2 uh, at Spa. Looking a little further down, let's have a quick look. Uh, a couple of questions, Matt Hawkey Hawkins, uh, Jerry Roberts, uh, both asking about the pace of Ferrari and future battles coming with Toyota. Don't think they're that far away. And yet I think uh, Hyperpole at Le Mans might be very interesting indeed. So if, if you've got access to the data, most people now do, take a look at the pace that um, that James Collado was squeezing out of the number 51 car at the end of the race and chasing down the Porsche for the final uh, podium position. It was uh, impressive, is the I think the straight answer there. Um, what else? Because we know we've not got very long. BOP, can't be bothered with it. Uh, let's have a quick look balance of primates by the way that, yes. that's that's the real name for bop we we determined that a few, month or two uh, I, I, let's put it this way uh, i don't think we've got any major bop changes coming out of Le Mans other than potentially a fairly minor platform bop change between the lmh and the lmdh cars and, and fairly minor uh, i think is what it comes down to i think what we're seeing at the moment are growing pains for teams and uh car developers if you like in the WEC, and I think they can be well advised to leave it alone to see how that pans out. Um, there's nothing unfair about it, is the straight answer. There's certainly nothing unfair about it between Ferrari and Peugeot and Toyota, and there's an arguable uh, adjustment that might need to come uh, with the Caddies and the uh, Porsches against those three, but uh, the reality is they're operating to the same values, and they've got to start closing those gaps. And those gaps are coming down. There's no doubt whatsoever about it. Those gaps are coming down. That's what it should be about. It should not be about moving the best downwards. It should be about the ones who are chasing them up in their game. And that's generally speaking, with one or two um, standouts, what we're hearing in the paddock is they understand they've got mistakes they've got to fix before... Um, before we start to get into the minutiae of the of the changes that need to come, other than that, MP, I got one other question I want to just chuck in here, and it's 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 an open question. It came came really beyond uh, the scope of the questions we put out earlier this week, and that is the announcement that's been made now that LMP3 will be leaving the IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship. Yeah, I feel like that's something we said in I don't know December or January or something like that. Yeah, um, and I. I'm sure others said it too. So hopefully it doesn't come as a shock. You will hear no sorrow from me. I will be, I will not be pouring out 
40 ounce of old English beer on the curb, uh, to bid well, bid farewell to our LMP three homies at the end of the season. Um, cool that it got to come play among the, the adults as it was needed to bolster a somewhat depleted prototype grid yep. in the WeatherTech championship. But I am appreciative of what LMP three teams did for IMSA to give more numbers, not look unhealthy can say for sure that the strength of IMSA during a phase where some manufacturers were deciding whether to commission GTP cars or not. I mean, I have to imagine that looking at the overall health of the WeatherTech Championship with a heck of a bunch of LMP3 cars thrown in at the the bigger events, certainly we have to assume, Graham, help some of those decision makers go, yeah, okay, things look pretty strong and vibrant there. Let's go there and do that. Without them, I think that might have led to a little bit of concern going, huh, uh, looks like they're struggling to attract people who want to come play. Should we recognize that and maybe not go play? So definite thanks to all the teams, as you mentioned, Sean Creech and Junior 3 and former being Core Autosport and Bill Riley and run down the list of all the good folks who uh, have helped or are, are currently putting P3 entries on the grid. But yeah, uh, I'm super happy to see them going away just as I was the former GTC class or whatever it was, the ALMS days, Mm -hmm. which are just Porsche cup cars, simply to try and uh, stock the herd and keep it from looking uh, unhealthy and undesirable. Yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, served the exact purpose they were meant to. Got, what, eight full-time GTP cars this year. Um, Again, hopefully we'll have a couple extras return, at least for Petit Le Mans. Uh, and then next year, we know, we hope we're going to be 10-ish. Uh, well, I yep. think, I shouldn't say eight. We know that we have the uh, the Proton new inbound. JDC. Yeah, the yep. new inbound uh, Porsche 963 from JDC. So that'll get us up close to 10. Next year, I think we're pretty confident in, in saying we should have at least 10 full-time GTP cars, if not more. Yep. So serve the purpose and uh, some of the more amusing caution flags that we have <laughs> Uh, seen emerge over the last couple of years since uh, P3 came to the big series. Uh, that might be the thing we mourn, or maybe that's not something you mourn. I think the, uh, the the final thing I'll say is what's been heartening from the response from the teams, you mentioned a couple of them there, um, is two things. One is it seems that uh, IMSA have done this the correct way. They've been giving the teams an opportunity to discuss the alternatives um, there was personal contact with each of the entrants, which is the right way to do it. The second part of it, and I think this is really encouraging, is I've yet to see a statement from a team that doesn't say they're working on ways to stay in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which you would presume means either a GT car or most likely, I think in the case of more than one team, LMP2, uh, which I think is highly encouraging. So, you know, it's hopefully doing what it was designed to do beyond that grid filling aspect, which is to encourage people to look further up the feeding chain. And, you know, we've, we've had numerous examples MP both in North America and in ACO rules racing of teams coming through those kind of feeder series, feeder classes and proving to be a really valuable part of 
the whole scene. I mean, amongst which, in in my world, TF Sport came from GT3 in the what was then the Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup. Uh, United Autosports through LMP3 and more and more and more. And uh, I hope this is, it's a blip for some of those teams. It's a challenge for those teams, but I hope it's a challenge that brings them, you know, into bigger and better things as we move forward. 10-4. Take us home, brother. I take us home with um, reference to another couple of questions and just to say that, yes, uh, Leela Wadu became the very first female winner of any class in the FI World Endurance Championship. And I believe, as is um, is mentioned by Damien Peachman, she may well indeed, Damien, be the first female driver since Michelle Mouton winning an FI World Championship uh, level. Uh, not the last female competitor, because we've had a couple of female co-drivers in the WRC as well, um, during and since Michelle's time at the top. But great to see her handing out the <laughs> the beating she was giving to her fellow pro drivers over the last couple of uh, races. And great as well, by the way, the spontaneity, uh, the joyous response that she got out of the car uh, in pit lane and in the post-race press conference from her peers. That, ladies and gentlemen, is motorsport. That's what I want to see from my sport. That's the spirit that she raced in. That's the spirit the race was running. It's the spirit we'd like to bring to you through the week in sports cars. And we'll say thank you once again to Daniel Summerskill for bringing these questions together. Apologies, we've not been able to wade through more of them this week, but time has been limited. Thanks, of course, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, and to torontomotorsports.com. And thanks absolutely to you, MP. Uh, it's been a busy time for you and for me over the last uh, week and a bit, but we'll try and get back on track before we get into the madness that is the Le Mans 24 hours in just under a month's time. Uh, he's been Marsha Pruitt. I'm definitely, I'll just check the label on the back of it. Yeah, I'm definitely Graham Goodwin. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. And we will be with you, we promise, next week. Oh, don't make that promise. We might fail. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we endeavor to. Uh, yeah, no, we will. We will. All right. Uh, see you all next week. <laughs>